What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another Raw Roundup. Happy Halloween. Happy day after Halloween. Happy couple days after Halloween. Whenever you're listening to this, hope you had a good Halloween. My trick-or-treaters, I didn't have any this year. There were no trick-or-treaters at my house. There wasn't even like one or two. There was nobody. I live in a gated community, so that doesn't help, and it's small. But there was nobody in here at all, so all of my just-in-case candy goes to me. Good for me. I feel like I went trick-or-treating on my own and got only the kind of candy that I that I like. So it works out for me. What's up, though, everyone? Welcome back to another Raw Roundup. Like I said, you know, I think that sometimes a holiday episode of Raw or SmackDown can sometimes come across as cheesy when they're forcing all of the holiday references in or holiday logos or whatever, but this was cool. I actually really enjoyed this episode. This was a fun one, and I liked the way they played into Halloween throughout the night. So let's just get right into it. Enough of me talking about my candy Enough of me uh, doing setup stuff here. Let's just break down this show, which began with Bianca Belair versus Nikki Cross. No longer Nikki A.S.H. We got Nikki Cross back. She's got her theme is like a her theme is a, a remix of the old Sanity theme, but she's got a more metal look to her. She's not wearing the jean jacket and, and such. She's got leather on. She's looking a little more crazy. She's slapping herself in the face during the match, acting intense again. Um, And it was good to see. It was good follow-up from what we saw last week, and it was good to see. It was good to see this iteration of the character again. I missed this iteration of the character, and even though Nikki Cross as the happy-go-lucky person that she's been these past few years has been entertaining, I've always felt like when she did this sanity version of her character, she unlocked something new within her. And I really wanted to see that on the main roster because you could see in this match, she did just feel more intense with this attitude. She's working on Bianca's knee in the early goings. She is, you know, keeping up with the Raw Women's Champion and Bianca Belair. Bianca is actually struggling to beat her for most of this match. It's very even footing. And, you know, Nikki is really upping the intensity throughout. And and that's something that I think people notice. The finish saw damage controls Dakota Kai and Io Sky distract the referee while Bailey hopped the barricade to throw Bianca into the ring post. Instead of taking the help, though, Nikki Cross hits Bailey in the throat, then goes on the attack against Dakota and Io. When she got back into the ring, Bianca hit the KOD for the win, and damage control go on the attack afterward, but a returning Asuka and Alexa Bliss run out to make the save. They'll later challenge damage control to a tag team title match, which becomes the main event of the night, which we'll get to in a little bit, but first, let's just talk about this. I felt like, because initially when I saw this, I thought, this is this is tough because Bianca Belair is the Raw Women's Champion. She shouldn't lose. Nikki Cross is getting this new push. They're going to try and re-energize her character by going into the past and kind of doing something similar to that. So 
I was like, man, well, both of them shouldn't lose here. This is a tough match to predict, to analyze, because I think, man, they both need the win. So the fact that Bianca ultimately needed the help of damage control to win this match, I think protected Nikki Cross in the end, because Nikki looked tougher in the end for not necessarily taking the help from damage control and instead flipping out on them as well. So I I feel as though, and this is just me, I feel like even though Nikki lost a match already technically, I don't think she really lost anything in the end by it. Next, we had Bobby Lashley and Brock Lesnar in a sit-down interview. Well, we were supposed to have Bobby Lashley and Brock Lesnar in a sit-down interview. However, Brock is nowhere to be found. His seat is empty, and as a guy who interviews people for a living, I can say that that is a scary sight when you're the interviewer. So there's no Brock. There's only uh, Lashley there. And Lashley says he's not surprised because he's exposed Lesnar multiple times for what he is. A Bobby Lashley wannabe. Ooh, shots fired on that one. (laughs) But when Lashley says that, Brock's music hits and he makes his entrance in the arena rather than backstage for the scheduled interview. And Brock says he didn't come to Texas for a sit-down interview with Lashley. He came there for a fight. And I loved the reaction from Lashley here because Lashley's backstage. He doesn't necessarily have a microphone to say this in, although he's he's got a mic, he's got a lapel mic, which Brock technically could have heard him on, but anyways, I liked when he gets that challenge, he immediately stands up, he doesn't say anything, he just gets right up, takes off the lapel mic, and heads right for the ring, takes off the glasses too, ready to fight, and it just made him look like a badass, it made him look like someone who is not scared of anyone, even mega death Brock Lesnar. Lesnar then tackles Bobby Lashley onto the ground. As soon as Lashley walked towards him and the roster rush out to separate them, this actually includes Triple H, who attempts to regain order, but Lesnar sprints right past him. I actually love this because you hear Triple H start to say that if they fight each other, that they, or if they touch each other, the fight will be off. But before he can even finish, you just see Lesnar sprint right past him to, uh, to make a beeline for Lashley. And I laughed because I felt like Lesnar is one of the few people on the roster right now who, you know, in, in kayfabe terms, we, we know that he's someone who has beaten Triple H before. So I felt like it was, it, to me, it was funny seeing him just run right by him because it was so much... Like, a, oh, yeah, no, I don't care. You're my boss. Uh, you're still technically my peer, and I'm not listening to you. So much so, in fact, that when he finally did you know, get an earshot of Brock and say, Brock listens, but he's laughing. Uh, he's kind of smiling as this is going on. This was great, man. I think that you know when I interviewed Bobby Lashley and he talked about how the feud with Brock Lesnar wasn't what he wanted it to be initially, I feel like this is more what he was looking for. Just two unstoppable monsters 
raising the stakes with each segment they're in with just intensity and their fists and their muscles and their bodies. And they're really building up a fight, a fight, an attraction between Lashley and Lesnar. I think this one's going to be dope. I'm really looking forward to this match on Saturday. They've done such a good job of just making it feel like these two guys want to rip each other's freaking heads off. And I want to watch that. I want to watch that. These two men uh, are, are this is going to, this is going to be two men uh, slapping meat, as Biggie says. Two big, beefy men slapping meat. And I have a feeling it's going to be epic. I think that they're going to tear that place down. And if these fights have been any indication, uh, I think I'm right. Because it's been so much fun to watch these. I think Triple H coming out for this one, you know, made it feel even more uh, intense just because of the fact that the boss had to come out and say something to them. We all know he's, you know, running the show there now. I did laugh, though, at, at Matt Riddle in this segment. It was so funny when he ran out there and there's a brief shot of him waving his flip-flop in the air like he's going to do something with it. Made me laugh. It was a good segment. But good segment all around, really. Like, this was one of those things where it was just money. Like, you want to sell people in watching a fight, wrestling match, whatever. This is how you do it. Next was Austin Theory. Oh, and I should say, excuse me, that Triple H did say that if, that if they fight, or the fight will be off if they touch each other. And, and, and so, I'm guessing... We won't see anything now. Well, we didn't see anything the rest of the show, and we're obviously not going to see anything on SmackDown this week. Um, so that that was smart of them to do so that we would kind of explain why they weren't fighting for the rest of the night. Okay, next, Austin Theory versus Seth Rollins. What a damn match, dude. What a match. Like, this, this show, just like, man... I, it's so funny. What a funny ass coincidence. <laughs> I literally, I said, Austin Theory versus Seth Rollins. What a damn match. And then I looked down at my phone and it said Seth Rollins had quote tweeted me. Because <laughs> I tweeted earlier in the night saying Seth Rollins and Austin Theory casually wrestling a banger on a Monday night. No big deal. And Seth Rollins just quote tweeted it saying that's what I do with the Mark Henry gif. Love it. Freaking love it. So good. Just this match, dude. Like, this is how you get people sold on Austin Theory cashing in that money in the bank. I don't care that he lost this match. I don't care that he lost this match. This was so good. This was by far, in my opinion, Austin Theory's best match on the main roster. I felt like he killed it here. But also, like, it was, like, it was interesting because... And I, I don't know if it was the blonde streak in Seth Rollins' hair that got the crowd pumped up or the fact that he was against Austin Theory, who is super heel at this moment because everyone just hates him. And Seth Rollins is someone who we all still kind of appreciate, even though he's positioned as a heel right now. But that crowd, they were, they were on Seth Rollins' side as if he was a babyface again. And he was hitting some of those babyface spots again, like the triple dive outside the ring and, you know, the, the way he was doing things. But there was just, like, this renewed sense of, like, I don't, even, I don't even know what it was, man. But, like, 
this was just so good all around. Like, Seth Rollins was on fire in this match. Like, I don't know if he wanted to help Austin Theory in a way or if he really wants to make sure that this United States title run is filled with bangers or it's just what he does. I mean, it is just what he does. But damn, dude, like, this was this just picked up from the beginning to end. And by the end, I was, like, on the edge of my seat for this match. The finish saw Seth reverse an attempt at the pedigree, and then he hits the stomp for the win. But this was, like, a pay-per-view level match. And I know that Seth Rollins, in theory, had some time together in the pandemic and the, in the PC when he was one of his uh, disciples. So maybe there was, you know, some chemistry still from there. But I just, like... This was like a coming out party for Austin Theory in terms of like, we know he has this in him. We've seen him wrestle bangers. It's not like he's never wrestled a banger. But there was just something about this one that from beginning to end, I was just hooked. I was hooked. And Seth Rollins, I think, is going to be an amazing United States champion. If he's going to be wrestling bangers with guys like Theory, bringing up people like Theory, bringing up people like Mustafa Ali, you know, bringing people up that, that need it, heel or babyface man that's gonna be great to watch it's gonna be uh, it's you know if that's the case and he's gonna be doing that for a little while and wrestling some of these guys to kind of help make some new talent again that to show that they can hang at the top of the card i feel like it's gonna be reminiscent of when john cena was the united states champion and he was doing those open challenges i i i think that seth Man, I'm I'm pumped on this title reign. I'm real pumped on this title reign. The guy, the guy is killing it, and and this match, man, this this match made me want to see more from these two. All right, so after that, a car pulls up and out walks Roman Reigns with Paul Heyman, and we return. Uh, and when we return from commercial break, the head of the table makes his entrance. Roman says that by the time Crown Jewel is over. We should be seeing an oosier version of Jay as his right-hand man. He says, let's be honest. I'm the greatest of all time, and I'm going against a guy who's had two matches, so there's no way I'm going to hype a match with an outsider like Logan Paul. I, I felt like Roman was real brutally honest in this whole segment, even when he didn't have the microphone in his hand, because right before this, he also said that, like, Basically, he's been hyping people up, and then after he smashes them, they kind of go away. But he's not going to do that here because he's not going to lie about Logan Paul. So he lets Heyman take over hype duties. Heyman reiterates what, what he had said about Logan Paul having steel in his hand when suddenly the Miz's music interrupts. Miz gets to the ring, says he acknowledges Roman, but he wants him to know that the rumor about Logan having steel pins in his hand it's true. He then asks Roman to help with his Dexter Loomis situation. And if he does, he'll help with neutralizing Logan Paul. Roman seems like he's thinking of taking this deal, but instead he hits the Superman punch saying people should be questioning if he's going to knock out Logan Paul, not the other way around. This was money. This was another money promo. Like I think that Roman is just so comfortable in this position now, in, in this role and what he's doing, that he just like oozes, oozes coolness. Like he just oozes confidence, coolness, 
um, just just everything you want from a from a top guy, from your number one guy in the company. He just he never looks like he's nervous anymore. He never looks like he's looking for his words. He's calculated. He is collected. He's measured. It's just everything about it is good. And I think that you know, even after this, there was a part where he's walking up the ramp and he says something like. He's like yelling at the camera and he says something like, I'm tired of being humble. You know, I'm the best. You know, this this is my ring. This is my show. This is my camera. And, I, you know, and I'm the I'm the head of the table. And it was just like, oh, hell yeah, dude. Like he looked that, like that's what I want for my champion. That's what I want. So I, I thought this was great. I thought Miz played his role perfectly. I think that I want to see. Roman Reigns versus Logan Paul, like they have properly sold me on this. I think, you know, we we they just had on pay per view over the weekend, um, Jake Paul versus Anderson Silva, and I wasn't able to watch it, but I saw mixed reactions to it. This is the chance to like, this is the this is the opportunity, this is the chance to do one better than that because all the Jake Paul fights never have like a real definitive finish. This is going to have a definitive finish, I would imagine. This is going to get you a lot of headlines, and, I, and I'm really excited to see how it goes down. I, I've had so many friends text me saying that they kind of low-key hope Logan Paul wins just so that they can see how the internet reacts to it, and I don't think that's going to happen. But I want to see if maybe it might. I want to see... It would certainly make a lot of headlines if Logan Paul ended this long streak from Roman Reigns. But I don't see it, but you never know. After the break, Kathy Kelly informs Miz backstage that Johnny Gargano has filmed a sit-down with Byron Saxton about the Dexter Loomis situation. And Miz says, if this slanderous piece airs, that everyone better be prepared for a defamation lawsuit Mustafa Ali then makes his way into the room to make fun of Miz and talk about their match later in the night. We'll get to that match shortly, but first, here's a quick commercial break. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services Marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, 
your trusted ally in home services. So next we had Carl Anderson versus Damian Priest. The numbers game continued to factor into this one, but Carl ultimately stole a win in the midst of things with a bridging pin, and then a brawl broke out after, and Rhea Ripley was once again the the axe factor, the X factor that led to Judgment Day getting the better of things. Not a lot to really add to this. I still feel as though we are getting a female added to the Good Brothers, or excuse me, to the OC, maybe not permanently, but at least to help them in their their efforts against Judgment Day to combat Rio Ripley. Don't know who that would be. Maybe like a ret- maybe like a returning Tegan Knox since there's history there of the injury. I don't know. I'm still struggling with this one. Someone tweeted me, and I actually I liked it because I'd said tweet me if you have any ideas, and someone tweeted me maybe the idea of Mia Yim kind of matching their energy. I'd be into that as well. I think that there's also rumors of uh, of a Chelsea Green possibly coming back. Maybe she fits into that role. I don't know. Those are good options, though. Those are better options than I presented you last week, which were none. I didn't have any ideas yet. So there, there's my thoughts on that. Next, we had MVP cut another promo on Amos to hype their crown jewel match. And he says he'll once again be on SmackDown this week. Um, another thing where it's kind of a... This one was similar to another thing that we've kind of seen between them. So not a lot to say here about that. After the break, JBL comes out and heals it up on the crowd before introducing Baron Corbin. Corbin talks about how he has it all. And then and that the people in the crowd have very little yet they somehow scraped what little money they had together to see him. Uh, he says, and then he says that we all know the truth, and the truth is an entrance from our truth. Uh, and then they go back and forth on the mic for a little bit, and while joking around on the mic, Corbin tries to attack Truth. It backfires, but JBL distracts Truth long enough, and Baron hits the end of days on him. Here's what I want to say about this. I think a lot of people, I, should, I don't know about a lot of people, I, I saw their, let me rephrase that. I saw people talking about how much screen time R-Truth might get in a Triple H era, where he's much more of a serious guy, where he's kind of like, you know, we've seen that he kind of focuses on the serious side of things more. But I think he's doing a great job of showing that he still wants to give us that that variety you know, that that melting pot of various things because the way he's been using Truth recently has been fun. He's been utilizing him in a proper way, in a way that gets the crowd excited, in a way that lets our truth play to his strengths, in a way that maybe gets a heel over a little more. Um, I think it's all been entertaining. I think it's been good the way they've used our truth as of late. Um, so I'm happy that our truth isn't just kind of being left behind in this new era because he is freaking hilarious that guy cracks me up he's so funny like he's one of those people where 
you could give him the cheesiest material and he's still going to make you laugh with it just because he's so dedicated to it. And this wasn't even cheesy. This was not that. This was fun. But I'm just saying he could. He could make chicken salad out of you know what. You know, so um, this was fun. And I, I, I'm, I actually, I don't know. Like, are they going to, you think they're going to do a feud here between Corbin and Truth? I don't know. I don't know if it was just like a, like maybe a couple, like a match next week and then it's over. I don't know. But I am happy to just be seeing our truth get utilized still. I'm a fan of his. I like his stuff. He's funny. He's entertaining. And I think that opposite Corbin, it, it helps people boo Corbin more because they love our truth so much that Corbin being mean to him will only get him more heat. And that's ultimately what's trying to be done with this new version of his character. The most heat possible. That's why they paired him with JBL. Next, we had Riddle versus Otis in a tricker street fight. Riddle was dressed as Ezekiel, of course, since he had Elias ringside with him. And Alpha Academy dressed as the Chippendales dancers from that SNL skit. With Chris Farley back in the day. And yeah, I saw people say this is kind of an old joke. But I think that it's pretty timeless. I think a lot of people know what that is. And if they don't know what that is, then then lucky them. Because they get to go discover it tonight. And it's hilarious. The finish of this match saw Elias put a pumpkin on Otis's head. And then Riddle hit him with an RKO. I gotta say, dude, like that, you know, sometimes, like I was saying before, those trick or street fights or miracle on 31st Street matches or whatever, um, don't always entertain me. Sometimes they, they, they wear out their welcome, they drag on for too long. But this was short, concise, there was funny stuff in it. We saw shades of the old Otis as he was playing around, kind of being heavy machinery like. Um, yeah, I was entertained by this one. I, I was. I thought the finish looked fu- looked cool too, um, and even though you know it wasn't anything you know groundbreaking, this match I think it was ultimately entertaining and a good way to uh, a good way to to celebrate Halloween on a Halloween Day episode. Next we had Mustafa Ali versus The Miz, and man, the selling for Mustafa Ali is next level. Like that guy, dude. Like he's so good. At what he does. He's so good at what he does. When I watch his matches. And I'm never going like. Oh he's overselling. Like even though. It's. Some of his selling is like. Super over the top. Like it it looks like the person. Murdered him. Rather than it being like. Oh well person wouldn't do that. No he just makes it look that much more impactful. Like when I watch his stuff. I think to myself like. Man he made that person's move look so good. He made Miz. The DDT that Miz does. Look like it could take you out and i love that dude like i think that when you're in the ring with someone and you you know as a wrestler you want the guy who's gonna do that you always hear about you know the dolph zigglers and the kofi kingstons and and such where people want to work with them they you know on my podcast the out of character podcast not this one but the the interviews you know, my three closing questions are always about their finisher, and I say, who's your favorite person to hit your finishing move on? And Dolph Ziggler and Kofi are, are two of the ones that get named a lot just because of how good they are at selling every move and how they make it look so good. Same with Ricochet. Ricochet gets the answer a lot, too, just because 
the way they make their body move makes the move look so vicious. And Mustafa Ali is one of those guys. Uh, you can really see it in this match. But you've seen it ever since this new revitalized push he's been getting. Um, whether it's being thrown into a, uh, the turnbuckle or or whatever. like He's just making everything look great when it's not even him doing the move. The match ends when Dexter Loomis shows up and attacks Miz, then runs away through the crowd where he came from. This allowed Ali to hit a super kick and a 450 for the W. What surprised me about this was that there was no attack from Rollins here after the match. I spoke about how it almost felt like he was a babyface in the match he was in earlier in the night. And I almost wonder if they didn't have him come out and attack Mustafa Ali after this match because of that. Like maybe they they, you know, changed course because of the 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 big cheers that he was getting because you wouldn't want them to cheer him beating Mustafa Ali uh, or beating up Mustafa Ali. Um, you want that to get booze. The, the people have been on the side of Mustafa Ali, and I almost wonder, because the match was so good with Austin Theory before and because um, you know he was getting such a positive reaction from the crowd, I almost wonder if they changed course. Would not surprise me. Either way, I hope that we haven't fully moved away from the Mustafa Ali Rollins stuff. I was enjoying it. I wanted to see more of it. So hopefully we, we get back into that next week after Saudi Arabia. WWE investigates with Byron Saxton takes place after this. It's a 60 minutes style segment to explain what's been going on with Dexter Loomis and The Miz, at least from the perspective of Johnny Gargano. Gargano says that Dexter is a regular time... As, mixing up my sentences here Gargano says that Dexter is a regular guy like the rest of us and for a period of time they were part of a family in NXT but that family fell apart after Dexter lost his job they show these reenactments of Dexter Loomis walking out and it's Johnny Gargano with a blonde wig on carrying like a box that has like a knife sticking out of it as if he's had to pack his stuff up and leave from the office and you see and then you see another reenactment where it's like blurry footage of what's supposed to be Indy Hartwell crying with her hand out wanting him to come back but it's just Johnny Gargano with a wig on again and both of those reenactment photos had me crying they were so funny so stupid so funny. Um, and then Gargano says all of this took a toll on Dexter's mental well-being. And Miz took advantage of it on the night of Gargano's surprise return. Johnny overheard Miz and Dexter talking backstage and he recorded it on his phone. So he plays the recording, which seems to show Miz and Dexter had an arrangement to stage a series of attacks. And that, he, and that Miz wanted to look like he had a celebrity stalker. He then kind of like goes over the whole timeline of Dexter and Miz since he first showed up on the main roster. And I'm, try- <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to go back in my mind now. Because when Dexter Loomis first showed up on Raw, he attacked... 
AJ Styles, right? He like oh, I'm pulling this up. Dexter Loomis, AJ Styles. Because he he first Okay, okay. That's what I thought. I wanted to re- I wanted to say this out loud before I said it, but it was initially he was appearing when AJ Styles was in the ring. He tried to interfere in a match between Styles and The Miz. And then he did so again during the United States title match. And I'm wondering if that is supposed to explain it. Like, yeah, like he was helping Miz initially. Then in in, in the episode where Johnny Gargano came back, that's when he hears that. But yeah, he was paying him. And then Johnny basically explains all the different things, how, like, each interaction, like, they weren't really touching, or Miz was clearly helping Dexter Loomis and all of this. And then Gargano eventually surmises that at one point, that at some point, Miz stopped paying Loomis, and that's why things have gotten out of control. I love this. I love this so much. I love this so much. Because here's the deal. for so long, I'd watch Raw, and I'd sometimes feel like we'd get all these story points, plot points, that didn't really connect, and I'd be doing, I'd be trying so hard to analyze and make sense of it, and ultimately, it just didn't make sense. They they just had dropped certain aspects, and something wasn't ever going to actually be brought up again, or wasn't important, or whatever. So to go piece by piece of everything that's happened in this program and explain to the viewer that there was a reason for all of it is so reassuring. It's so reassuring. Because as a viewer, I just get so frustrated when things would get dropped. I would... It was my number one pet peeve when something would get dropped that I was paying attention to and I was into and then it would get dropped. And they never explained why this was happening. So to explain what was happening in a way that not only satisfied me, but also felt different. It felt like it was made by people who watch what's on TV in other aspects. The 60-minute style segment was different, but it was something that you would see today in a real-life setting. Maybe not with the silly reenactment. Well, the reenactments would still be silly, but they maybe weren't meant to be silly. But that's part of the fun of pro wrestling. But I actually think that this is a great thing that they could have Byron Saxton do. These are these could be done as a way to kind of like tie things together. And I think it'd be a great way to utilize Byron Saxton to set him apart from Kathy Kelly. Like Kathy Kelly is doing the backstage interviewing, but he's doing these more hard-hitting pieces on stuff that's happening in story. I'd be super into that. This was very entertaining. This served its purpose in story to provide context to everything that we've been seeing in this story without Dexter Loomis having to say a word. Brilliant. I I really, really cannot praise this enough. Uh, I'm I'm happy that we got this. If you listen to these podcasts all the time, you know I was saying, we got to get to a point where Some of this is explained. So the fact that we got all of it explained is even better. Lastly is the main event, Alexa Bliss 
and Asuka versus Damage Control for the women's tag team titles. Near the end of the match, Bailey and Bianca fought into the crowd. They're on top of a platform, and then that allowed Bailey to hit the Bailey to belly through a table nearby. Looked fantastic. Very cool. Then the finish saw Alexa and Asuka get the upper hand for long enough to hit Alexa for excuse me, long enough for Alexa to hit the twisted bliss to get the clean pin for their team. Wow, new champions already. I think it was like 50-day reign for Dakota and EO, so better than Dakota's last tag title reigns in NXT. Gotta say, though, was not expecting this finish. I really wasn't expecting this finish. I, I, I First, let me say this. Pay-per-view level match. Very entertaining match. Like, love getting matches like this to end the show. I love getting a match to end the show where the finish is truly unexpected. I just, man, I don't know what. Maybe I'm, I'm trying to think of the right way of wording this. I've seen this disconnect when it comes to damage control on the internet. I've seen some people say they love it. I've seen some people say they hate it. Personally, I'm of the camp that loves it. I feel like they've all been knocking it out of the park. Three veteran talents that have maximized every single opportunity given to them in this era. So I have enjoyed them being kept extremely, them being kept strong for the most part. I felt like. I felt like they really could have given some importance to those belts by holding on to them for longer and putting on as many, just a bunch of bangers, putting on matches like this one and winning. Because ultimately, EO and Dakota did need that win more than Alexa and Asuka. Yes, Alexa and Asuka are hugely popular talents, great in-ring competitors, but they've been to the top of the mountain. They've been there in tag title reigns. EO and Dakota need it more. And I really thought that it was going to be a, like a bloodline type situation for the women where they were going to be holding all the gold as they go into Survivor Series rather than all the gold being on the other side. I thought they were going to be the dominant ones heading into this match and make it their, theirs on the women's side. So I'm interested I'm interested to see how we get there because I do think that if Bailey doesn't win the Raw Women's title at Crown Jewel there's a problem. <laughs> and I don't I that, and I, I don't see a problem in terms of like with the group in, in terms of like they might need to make a change somehow I guess and turn Dakota and EO or something. I don't know. But it's going to be hard to keep them positioned in the way they are at the top of the car if Bailey also loses when challenging for the for the Raw Women's Championship. That's just my thought. All right, I think I think I'm done here. I think I've got everything out of my system here. But before I officially tap out, first make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast feed. If you just found us while cruising uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, searching 
WWE. Um, make sure you're subscribed to the channel, this, the, the feed, excuse me. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast feed. And also, leave a review, leave a rating if you really did like it, if you enjoy listening to this every week. Um, I, I appreciate it very much when you do that, but it also helps get the word out there. It helps people see that there's a, a, a big, a large amount of people who enjoy this show when there's a bunch of reviews and ratings. So please do that. I appreciate those of you who have done it in the past, and I will make sure to continue reading those reviews when I see them on here in the future. Also, make sure that you're subscribed to the WWE on Fox YouTube channel. That's where you can find Out of Character with Ryan Satin every Wednesday. This week, we've got Butch on the show, formerly Pete Dunn. We talk about the name change. We talk about brawling brutes and so much more. He also buries the hell out of Disney music. So make sure you tune into that on Wednesdays. And you can watch it on video on the WWE on Fox YouTube channel. There's also YouTube shorts. There's clips from Raw and SmackDown. There's so much more. So make sure that you are subscribed to the WWE on Fox YouTube channel. Also, make sure you follow us on social media. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. TikTok. I think that's all the major ones, but if you got another one, let me know and I'll get us on there. But make sure you're following WWE on Fox on social as well. All right. That's it. I'm done. Officially tapping out for now. Until next time, I'm Ryan Satin and this has been another Raw Roundup. 